0: Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Sharon Lever. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. If our episode sounds different today, that's because we're recording outside of a studio practicing social distancing. Today, we're joined by principal analyst David Johnson to discuss how enterprises can improve employee experience at this current critical moment. Welcome, David.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: And just a quick note before we begin, if you enjoy this conversation with David Johnson on the connection between EX and CX, be sure to check out our upcoming CX North America Forum on June 16th through 18th. To learn more about David's presentation and the event overall, visit 4com slash CXNA. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash CXNA so currently obviously a pandemic going on lots of uncertainty and it certainly propelled employee experience into the limelight highlighting the need for clear communication enabling workforce with appropriate technology obviously a consideration for just employee well-being both physical well-being but also emotional needs so maybe a good starting point would just be to define the components of good employee experience or how we would measure a good employee experience, David?
1: The good news about that is what defines a good employee experience in ordinary times also defines a good employee experience in uh, in a pandemic like this. So a lot of the practices where organizations have had good EX practices in place already, Uh, they're benefiting from that now. Um, they already have good listening programs in place. For example, to understand employee sentiment, uh, to understand how they're feeling and how you know how safe they feel or what they what they need that they might be missing, right? Things like that. But really, when you think about what a really good employee experience program does, is it creates an environment where people feel like they they can succeed, right? They'll they'll Uh, exceed even their own expectations, they'll be 100% engaged in what they're doing in their work. And that really is the most important outcome of an employee experience program is people fully engaged and willing to give the best of themselves. And we've done quite a bit of work to understand what that is. Um, Part of it's come from organizational behavior science and psychologists. Part of it's come from our work with our clients who have great reputations in this area. And part of it's come from our own data And uh, we've been fielding an employee experience index survey for the last three years. And uh, this will be our fourth year. And um, we took a very different look than other employee engagement surveys do. Um, We looked at factors that they weren't looking at, like enablement. Um, Most surveys, for example, will look at Um, enablement with just a single question. We really dug into that. We wanted to understand those pieces more. So the things that we found really fall into three buckets that make up a great employee experience. And that is a feeling of being empowered. Um, Like, for example, having autonomy, freedom to decide how best to do their job, or having clarity about what's expected of them at work. And Clarity about how their work contributes to company success. And that's something that can get lost in a pandemic that may not be being communicated very well, depending on how skilled their managers are at managing remote people. Another area that stood stood out is feeling inspired, Um, believing that their organization does a good job of helping employees live as values. Uh, that they operate ethically and that they're forward-looking and innovative, um, that they can easily provide feedback feedback to leadership as well. So those are things that fit into that bucket. And enablement, though, which is the thing that I mentioned first, stood out really for us as, as being critically important. And that is things like belief that their IT department helps them be productive technology that helps them easily collaborate with their colleagues or easy access to the information that they need to do their jobs effectively. And again, those are things that most programs really aren't looking at very well. It's those daily journeys, right? Those daily experiences that employees are having that that really stand out and matter.
2: So Dave, those, all of those things sound like really good, important things that would make an employee happy. I know that there's more to this than happiness of an employee. Can you talk a little bit about what what are the business results of excelling at all three of those things? What does that do beyond just making an employee happy and engaged? How does it benefit the the organization that's ultimately um, creating those experiences for their employees?
1: Fantastic and insightful question. (laughs) Thanks for asking. Uh, This is one that is is an important one because it feels like sometimes these outcomes, these business benefits are a little intangible, right? It feels like soft stuff, but in reality, it's not. Uh, Just because it's difficult to measure, it doesn't mean that it's not real. And um, and so there's been a lot of work done over the years, not just by us, but by scientists and others to, to quantify the benefits. Certainly there's a link between customer experience and employee experience when employees are in a good place, right? Customer experience goes up. But, um, and there's a study, one of my favorite studies that I love to cite was one that was done over multiple years, uh, 300,000 data points, just a beautifully done field study that showed that consistently people who are really engaged, right, in a good place emotionally and otherwise, their their organizations with those types of people (laughs) in them enjoy about 81% higher customer satisfaction and about half the employee turnover. And there's more evidence to link customer satisfaction and customer experience data with revenue and revenue growth and so on. We've published a lot on that as a firm. And turnover is relatively easy to quantify. So those are just two relatively straightforward things to look at. Um, And, and, you know, these types of studies provide a good basis of data to help build a business case on things that used to feel intangible, you know. But less employee turnover, higher customer satisfaction, higher willingness of employees to um, say nice things about you as an employer. You're likely to get better glass door reviews, (laughs) for example. But those are some of the things that stand out as being critical business benefits. And organizations also who do well with engagement um, also uh, tend to do better in terms of innovation, in terms of growth as well. You'll find that companies who are really good in this area tend to be leaders in their industries. So um, good examples to cite and uh, draw from here for sure.
2: You mentioned that correlation between employee experience and customer experience. Can you talk a bit about what, what are, are there some best practices? I mean, so many firms have been focusing on customer experience. They haven't all gotten it right, (laughs) arguably, but they've been so focused on it for an organization that maybe hasn't focused as much on EX, but has on CX. Are there some best practices that can translate into the employee world?
1: So yes and no. Um, there are some similarities between the way you might run a CX program and the way you might run an EX program, but they really have different outcomes. I think of the most important outcomes of a customer experience program as being customer loyalty, retention, repeat business, willingness to uh, recommend you to others, for example, but just that's a good result of of a good customer experience program. Um, The outcome of an employee experience program, if it's done really well is Uh, people who are willing to give the very best of themselves every single day. And this is something that happens every day for several hours a day for potentially years at a time. And so the mosaic of things that will affect their emotions, their willingness to give the very best of themselves are very different. And in many ways, running an employee experience program can be even more difficult and challenging because of those myriad things, right, that come into play. So in terms of best practices, one of them is having a really good listening strategy. And you'll find this to be true with customer experience as well, but you're listening for different things. Um, on the employee experience side, you're listening to to understand what are the things that are that are affecting their daily experience, their daily journey as they go about their work, and what's inhibiting their ability to be successful in what they're being asked to do. Right? That's one that uh, that is is a little bit different. And a best practice is to have a great listening program. Um, another area that's very common that we recommend uh, is having a really good leadership and manager development capability. Managers have a huge impact on employee experience and um, the way organizational changes are made things like that can have a significant impact as well so you know we recommend at least those things to be key parts of an, of an employee experience program but i also encourage companies to think of it in terms of you're building up the resources of the individual and we've written quite a bit about this we call it our peak human research right where you have employees who are already operating, operating at their peak but you can take peak humans and put them into an organization that really is not equipped to be able to enable them effectively. And they're still going to underperform. So it's having both the building up the resources of individuals, as well as having the resources in the organization, right. For them to succeed with that really presents a complete picture.
0: David, can we just drill in to the listening program a bit? I'm just kind of interested because oftentimes if I'm thinking of it from a customer perspective, you know, if I fill out a survey and then it just kind of goes off into like potentially an abyss, right? And there doesn't really appear to be any sort of um, change or impact based on my input. So I imagine in in particular moments like you know, what we're living through today, where you're sort of making the ask of an employee to provide input and ensuring that that input is being sort of, showcased in, I don't know, standing up a program or there's some sort of reaction to said input is probably a pretty critical component yeah. or at least a follow-on program to a listening program. So can you just talk about them a little bit?
1: We talk a lot about survey fatigue, right? That's something that people tend to associate with surveys and asking people what feels like a, an endless list of questions to, to get their feedback and understanding. It's not so much survey fatigue as it is inaction fatigue. Um, So very important to consistently showcase back to people how you are using that feedback. And Forrester does this internally extremely well, in my opinion, but asking for that feedback, but also showing how showing what you're doing with that feedback and how that's actually affecting the way decisions are being made and the way priorities are being set. I haven't met an employee yet who wants to give their leadership team less feedback, <laughs> right? So it is uh, it is a matter of um, giving that feedback, asking the right questions, first of all, um, the things that are gonna reveal what really needs to be revealed and, and things that they want to tell, not just you know what you may wanna get from them, but, um, but also doing something with that and, and feeding it back.
0: And some of the components, uh, three critical buckets that you went through earlier, How are companies faring across enabling, inspiring and so on their workforce? And maybe I don't know if if there's kind of a pulse like pre-pandemic and now during the pandemic that you can kind of give some insight on.
1: Well, one thing is it's clear that there isn't any consistent ownership of employee experience programs within organizations. 25% of the time it's owned by HR. Um, half of that, 12% of the time, it's it's owned by C, the CX group. Uh, six or 7% of the time it's owned by IT. So there's a bunch of different stakeholders um, who own these things currently without really any clear understanding of where they're going <laughs> or consistent understanding of where they're going. So maturity level is generally low, I would say, with employee experience programs across the board. So... The organizations that are doing it really well, and there's a number of companies um, who do this, who do this pretty well. I'm thinking of a healthcare payer in mind right now, uh, who've been doing this, they've been running an associate experience program now for several years, and they've made steady gains. I mean they had they had pretty mediocre employee engagement scores when they started. And uh, over the course of six or seven, eight years, they've, they've been able to get into the mid-90s and stay there pretty consistently. And they took a very science-first approach, right? What, that, what I mean by that is they were very clear about what they were trying to get from this program, what they wanted to improve. And engagement was the number one thing, right? And they realized that wellness, wellness, um, you know getting enough sleep and rest and other things were all key parts of that but that it but there were a bunch of elements that they needed to address as part of that employee experience program to increase engagement and they've done it but that's uh that's the thing is is knowing where you're trying to go and having consistent and good executive support for it and clear clarity about what you want to do
2: so let's push on that where you want to go and maybe where organizations are going in general, because we've talked a lot about, which is hard not to, the here and now, the world we live in right now, which is um, so unique, um, and the current state of how companies are handling EX. But there's been a lot of talk about the future of work and how that's changing and what it's going to look like, and maybe that we've accelerated that path towards a future of work. Can you talk a little bit about, A, what does that future work look like? How different is it from today? And then what is the role of employee experience in that future? Does it, does it gain power? Do employees gain power, lose power? What does that new world look like in your eyes?
1: Yeah. Great question. So we just published a report uh, on this as as part of uh, the team that I'm on. And uh, we called it the future of Work Starts Now. What's basically happened is the pandemic has accelerated um, the demand and the need uh, for this and the understanding. I mentioned that those companies that had good employee experience practices already tend to be faring better now as they're going through this because they've got a lot of the pieces in place. But what that um, what that future uh, will look like right and, and and the role of employee experience when we when we do that is a couple of things um, companies are gathering a lot more data now on on their employees right we call it a data tsunami and one of my colleagues uh, mark brandau is going to be writing quite a bit more about this but getting big amounts of what could be considered sensitive data in and making sense out of that And doing it in such a way that they're interpreting that data with empathy and care, not so much with an eye toward punishment right or uh, or or you know. um, Or you know misunderstanding and um, employee power in the future is also going to continue to increase it's not that employees certainly employees have more ability to be able to you know, tell the world about their experience of working within your company. And anybody that's going to be thinking about a job at your company is going to be looking at those kinds of comments, things like Glassdoor and so on. It's not just that. It is organizations beginning to realize that it, the employee power comes from what whether or not they are willing to bring them, their whole selves to work every day, the very best of themselves every single day. And as companies get better at helping employees do that and realize how important it is, they're going to get much, much more value out of their employees and in, in the, in the nature of the work that they do, better customer experience, outcomes, and so on. So that's that's the kind of employee power that I think of um, in, in the future is employees are choosing, whether we accept it or not, to give the best of themselves or not every day. We want to stack the deck in their favor. We want to stack the deck in such a way that they're much more likely to. So those are a couple of things that really stand out. And certainly in the future, we're going to have more robots and automation. How that gets applied uh, to make work the work environment better and make people's ability to make daily progress and the work that matters most better is gonna matter a lot. And we've, I've interviewed a number of companies who have uh, done a good job in the way that they've applied automation and robotics to really make employee experience better by removing that mundane. So, um, and also realizing that things like wellness contribute to, um, or lack of wellness contribute to systemic risk. You think about the things that, uh, that will, you know, are difficult risks to measure and quantify and see. Wellness is one of those big ones. And we're seeing more organizations struggling with being capitalized if they are not doing a good job in these areas because their investors see it as a source of risk if they're not doing EX well. So, just a couple of things that come out. I know that was a lot, but I hope it was helpful.
2: It is a lot. It also suggests, especially when you, when you hit on that wellness point, that the role of the employer is almost expanding. Um, I, I feel like in the past, we may not have thought of an employee experience to be pushing on wellness um, as a well human or as a whole person, it's really just about how you perform at work and that's all that matters. And there's a hard line between that personal life and work life. Are you suggesting that that starts to blur in, in a more significant way?
1: Boy, is that a timely question? Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I was just on the phone with a, with a client of ours today, um, a bank, and they've gone to almost 100% remote working in the, in their corporate functions. And, uh, and they had very few people working remotely before, and it's just causing upheaval. Um, they're struggling with, you know, first of all, they've got people who are working from home with, with, with what we call co-workers who might be their kids or pets or other things, so that the environment itself is completely different. But they're also feeling anxiety from from not feeling the same sense of social connection with their colleagues. Um, they might also be unfortunate and have a manager who is a micromanager and doesn't really know how to enable them effectively and is more worried about whether or not they're doing what they're supposed to be doing than finding ways to help them succeed. Um, so, yes, all these things are coming crashing together. Uh, as we've drastically shifted uh, where people are working and uh, what that means for the future. Now, uh, we think that some of this is gonna stick as organizations figure out how to enable people and feel like, oh, wait a second, actually we're getting quite a bit of work done Um, and things are working pretty well once they've figured it out, that uh, we'll have a percentage, maybe 25% will stay.
2: The other piece of your comments on the future of work I wanted to drill into is, is the first one you pointed out, which was the employee data. Um, employee insights, that feels like a sticky one. Um, I know we're projecting that there'll be this onslaught or tsunami as you, as you called it, of employee information, employee data, but that feels like something that could also, if handled poorly, erode trust, which is the complete yeah. opposite of what you want for an employee experience. So how do, how do leaders navigate that, that balance in that future?
1: That is going to be a tough one, probably the toughest of all of this. Um, But I need to point out that most organizations are already collecting far more data on employee activities than they either realize or they know how to use. Uh, I think about um, you know, Microsoft Office 365, um, the Microsoft Graph, right? APIs that are built into that uh, can tell you a lot about the communication patterns of people, what their meeting load looks like, um, what their email communications look like and so on. So there's quite a bit of data there already. The question then becomes, how do you use that data and and uh, look at that data in such a way that it protect protects identity, uh, to, yeah, to, to some extent, um, so that um, you're not necessarily personally identifying people. Um, that's a tough one. But also protecting, looking at it with, with the right intention and through the right lenses. Um, I think about countries like Germany, for example, with their works councils and um how strict the rules are around what kind of data that you can gather, but also how you use that data and the level of transparency that's required. I think German companies will teach us a lot because many of them are already gathering this type of data today. They'll teach us a lot about how to do this well. But that, that privacy and that, and that trust within your employees of how you're using that data and even being transparent about that with them um, is going to be critically important. Um, there are lots of companies too they are small emerging vendors, like WorkLytics, for example, that are gathering this data, harvesting the digital exhaust, is what I call it, it's of the people's daily work, and, and helping to make sense out of it. And it's just going to increase, but it's with it's going to come the responsibility to use it well.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a risk factor that you know Sharon point, pointed to, but also do the folks that are you know whether it's the HR professionals or the CX team. Do they have the requisite skill set to actually use the data and, and gather insights from it to then feed it back into the system? I mean, is there a like skill set or deploying, you know, data scientists to a different set of data that needs to happen to actually make this be productive and drive towards whatever the the vision or the north star is um, for that firm?
1: We've had dozens of interviews in the last uh, last couple of years with. Uh, Leaders of associate or employee experience programs within their organizations, and so far, every single one of them is has, in my opinion, had the right intentions. Right, what they're the way that they intend to use the data, and the way that they the kinds of things that they're looking for, and what they're hoping to do with it. So that's a good thing, right? That these people have the right intentions. What they're missing, and they'll and they'll they'll be the first to say that they want more of, is more expertise around how to interpret it. So, uh, for example was on the phone with a uh, with a with a, uh, a client the other day in an inquiry call and uh, you know they were trying to put together a better employee listing program and strategy and this is for a very large organization I, I said so what is the one skill set that you wish that you had on hand accessible to you that you don't have and he said i wish i had an i o psychologist an industrial organizational psychologist to help me understand what questions I should be asking, but also how to interpret the data as we field surveys in our organization. I don't have that right now. And again, it was a big company. So we'll see more of those kinds of investments being made in expertise, right? For how to, what to ask and and what to do with it once you've you've found out or how to interpret the digital exhaust, if you will. That's what's missing is that that deep expertise in those areas about what it means.
0: Um, So David, in that list of, you know, who owns, EX, yeah, I noticed that you didn't mention um, marketing or the, or the CMO, so maybe we can dig into that a little bit more.
1: They are uh, a percentage of the time, I think it's 2 or 3% of the time, um, the leaders of the EX initiative because they realize that the employee experience is a huge part of their brand identity. Uh, Depanjan Chatterjee uh, on, on our research, on the CMO research team has been looking at this really closely and um, we've spoken a lot. Um, about our respective research and about ideas to share. And uh, he's in very much agreement that that the employee, the EX that you portray to others um, is going to influence your brand, especially now. I describe the current crisis as a towering moment that matters for for your employees, right? It's one that they are going to remember how you responded, how you reacted, not just weeks from now or months from now, but years from now. And it's the kind of thing that uh, because it's such a strong, indelible memory in people's mind and so many strong emotions like fear, right, are wrapped around it, that uh, that it will define your brand if you have not reacted well. But if you have, people are gonna be telling stories about that as well in several years. I, I think about after September 11th, it's not the same thing, I understand. But after September 11th, there were organizations uh, like Southwest Airlines who did a beautiful job. They didn't lay, lay off anybody during the during the time after September 11th, they were able to negotiate, reduce salaries and so on for a period of time because they had such good strong relationships with their employees, but they were able to bring every keep everybody on staff. And so when the, when the recovery came and the demand came from customers, they were ready. They had everybody they needed to meet that demand. They were the first company to become profitable, first airline to become profitable after September 11th. And again, that's why this matters so brand matters and, you know, your people's perception of your brand is going to be influenced heavily by by employee experience, more so in the future, even than now. And this pandemic is really going to highlight that.
0: So, David, with all of this information in mind, what's the most important takeaway you'd want listeners to leave with today?
1: I remember interviewing a professor at the Harvard Business School when I first started this research a long time ago, and um, she really shaped my thinking. It was Dr. Teresa Amabile, I-M-A-B-I-L-E. What she said was most of what the world thinks we know about what keeps people engaged at work is wrong. Um, she discovered that when she would survey managers, they would say things like about what matter, they would say things like recognition, paper performance, important work, great colleagues, and those are the kinds of things that a lot of EX programs focus on today. But it turns out that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is being able to make progress every single day in the work that they believe is most important because it's tied to psychological safety. We're all trading time and our personal lives and everything else to do our work, to keep a roof over our head and all those things. So it's foundational. But she discovered that the managers, when she was survey them, would rank that dead last. So you have this gap between what most people think they believe, most people believe and what is actually real, right, that matters. And, uh, and so that's important to orient yourself on what really matters, and that is this idea of daily progress and, and you know, being able to create an environment where people will have the energy and the drive and the motivation to succeed, but also will be enabled appropriately to succeed in what they're being asked to do. So that's it. That's the biggest thing. Part of that, though, is developing a listening strategy and understanding um, employee sentiment, employee understanding what's in the way, what they need, and so on. And there's multiple channels for that. It's not just surveys. It is um, doing employee journey mapping exercises to understand their work day, what's in the way, um, bringing in expertise like neuroscientists and so on to understand what the cognitive load looks like of working in that environment. How difficult is it to work there? Things like that. So focusing on those kinds of things to understand what that daily experience is like for employees and developing that understanding and then setting your priorities based on that clear understanding. And it's defensible. You can go to executives with that kind of data and say, look, this is what we know. This is what we think is important and here's why. And they're more likely to listen to you because you have credibility then. So that's the thing that I think matters the most is orient right and and then listen and act.
0: Great, thanks for joining us today, David.
1: Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Thanks, David. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.